these words. And Harvey, we love you and re- remember you today. Well, if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 128. Now, you're used to be saying so far Psalm 127, but we're going to be in Psalm 128 today. We're going to finish our series on the family today. And we've been talking about building a stronger home and uh, remodeling our homes. Most homes are not new. Most homes are established. Uh, Most homes are at least a year old. We have a few brand new homes in our church, but the majority of families in our church have been around. For instance, my family has been around, uh, not only been around Gospel Light, but been together for almost 28 years now. And so I don't have a new home. 28 years is not a new home. That's an older home. You might say, you know, how old is your home? And I don't think a 28-year-old home is a, a super old home if I were looking at a house in Hot Springs. But that would be not a new home at all. So I don't have a new home. My home regularly needs remodeling. I need to fix things all the time. I mean, there's dents and nicks, and especially when you have a special needs child. Believe me, you always got something to paint, always something to clean up. Always something to fix. Uh, something's always going out. And so I need to remodel my home often. And so thinking about that, I want to draw your attention to your home. How old is, is your home? How, when did you establish your home? And where are you at? Wherever you are in, in life. Maybe you're, you're single. You still have a home. Maybe you are a widow. You still have a home. Maybe you are uh, a grandfather like myself. You still never stop being a dad, right? There's so many things and different dynamics when it comes to a home. And so we're talking about remodeling a home. And we've looked at several things. We've talked about, uh, you know, some some principles in God's Word about uh, remodeling your home and and building a stronger home. Last week, we talked about raising children. That's a huge part of this thing we call our families and our homes. And it's very important that we raise our children. In the, in the, in the nurture and, and admonition of God. And these are great principles. But today, on Father's Day, we're going to talk specifically about God's plan for the man. God's plan for the man. And what's interesting about Psalm 127, it speaks about the home. And there's a lot it says about the home. But Psalm 128 speaks about the man. And it's the next chapter. I don't think it's, by, it's, I don't think it's an accident that, that the next chapter in Scripture is all about the man of God, the dad, the father, the example in the home. And so I want you to notice with me in this chapter, we're going to read it in just a moment. But first of all, before we do that, I want to make a statement. I want to say that not everyone who is a male is a man. Now, now a lot of what I say this morning, as I say it, it's funny. I've, I've really worked for, for several hours on this message. And the more I worked on it, the more the devil tried to convince me that this no longer is culturally relevant. Eric, some of the things you're going to say, it's 2015. Wake up. We live in a different world. And then the Holy Spirit, thank his precious name, amen, would say, Eric, don't cave in. Don't give in to what the the, the, the majority, or I shouldn't say majority, but to what the world, I don't know, I guess they, they, oftentimes we find ourselves in a minority these days as Christians, but don't give in to what the world says is no longer important. The Word of God is true. It doesn't change, and what Psalm 128 says today is as relevant today as it was several thousand years ago when it was written. You see, you're only young once, but you can be mature forever. Amen? 
You're only young once, man, but you can be mature forever. And a godly man is a man who is not just born male, but it takes maturity to be a man. It takes maturity to be a man. And so as you listen to the words of this message, I'm asking you to gauge your maturity level. Where are you at today when it comes to being a true man of God? I'm talking about being a real, masculine, godly, biblical man. And if there's anything in shortage today, it's that. Anything. I mean, I I pastor a church that is in shortage of real, godly, biblical, masculine men. We live in a city that is in a shortage of those men. And I'll prove that to you as the message goes on. You know, real men, we need real men who will say what we sang a moment ago. Think about it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's not a song that needs to be written in a quiet tone. That song needs an electric guitar. That song needs somebody beating on the drums. It really does. Because, man, we've been lulled to sleep. We have been lulled to sleep. We've been lulled to passivity. We are very quiet these days. And, and, and so I'm asking you to rise up as men and say, as for me, and, and say it with a very deep, strong, loud voice. Say it like you mean it. Say it with a little sternness in your eyebrow. I mean, look like you really seriously want to become the man that God wants you to be. I'm thinking about it's halftime. It's the NBA finals, and I'm down 30. I'm not walking in there saying, good job, guys. Let's lose by 60. I'm yelling, screaming, and probably throwing things, okay? I'm upset. I'm exaggerating. But I'm upset. I'm trying to get these these, these players' attention. We're lallygagging. We're not playing tough. We're losing by 30. What's wrong? And that's kind of the way I feel today as a pastor. What's wrong? We're falling behind, guys. We're losing in this, in this battle. We need to understand God's plan for the man. And let me say this to ladies. Don't feel left out. Because ladies, there's a message for you here as well. First of all, if you're single, it might be good for you to note that you need a real man. And, and, and hold out for one. A godly man. Listen, it is far better to marry a man who is poor. Who doesn't have a cent. But is worth a million. Than to marry a man who has a million, but isn't worth a cent. Think about that. You know, sometimes I think we're looking for that, that, that rich man, that man that's, that's got all this talent. You know what? Can that. Give me a man that's got character. Give me a man that's got a work ethic. Give me a man that knows how to treat people. Give me a man that is a godly man who follows biblical principles. So here is a man's psalm. Look at it, Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. He's speaking to men here. Blessed is the man. Blessed is every man that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt, man, thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee, men. Your wife, she'll be like a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children, oh, they'll be like olive plants round about your table. It'll be an awesome time, an awesome life. Behold, that thus shall the man... Be blessed, the man, the husband, the dad, who fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless that man out of Zion, and he'll see the good of Jerusalem all the days of his life. That man, he will see his children's children live for God. He will live to see the peace in 
Jerusalem. There's so many things to say about that. What is real manliness? What is God's plan for the man? Let's get it straight from the Word of God. Number one, if you are a real man, men, you will have a faithful walk. A faithful walk. And I mean a faithful walk with the Lord. Listen, look at verse number one again. Look at it. Blessed is everyone. Blessed is that man that what? That fears the Lord. And then what does it say? Read it for yourself. That walketh in his ways. To walk with God is not some sort of a preacher phrase. It's not some sort of Christian slogan. It's in the Bible. God says, men, fear God and walk with God. Walk in his ways ways. Oh, if you, if you have a dad that walks with God, if you have a dad that walks in the ways of the Lord and fears God, oh, you have a good dad, a godly dad. First one speaks of a pattern that a husband and a father need to set before their children. This is a worshiping father. This is a father who is a godly dad, a godly husband, because he has a walk, a personal walk with an almighty God. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important that in the home, why is it so important that in a church like ours, we desperately need men who who have a walk with the Lord, that walk uprightly? Why is that so important? Well, because in the home, according to Scripture, a man, a father, a husband, a dad is a picture of almighty God. That's according to Scripture. Now, guys, if that don't make you sit up, I don't know what will. According to Scripture, men in the home are to be a picture of who God is. A picture of Almighty God. That song we sang a moment ago, Our Father. That's that's the kind of men we're supposed to be. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 says, and listen, what, what did God teach us to call God. Look at it. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry. Here it is. Abba, Father. God says, rather scripture says, Jesus said, I want you to refer to God as Father. Butch shared that just a moment ago in his testimony before we sang that song. How deep the Father's love for us. And that my friend, that gentleman is who we are supposed to be living out in the home. A picture of who God is. Our Heavenly Father. That's why we're called fathers. That's why this is Happy Father's Day. The Scripture says, call no man father. But the truth of the matter is, what that's talking about is in a sense of no man God. No man should be called God. But many men will be called fathers because those men are living like God. Not perfect, but living in the shadow of an almighty God. And the reason why we need to live such a godly life is that we are modeling before our family what Almighty God is like and what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. Let me give you a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 3 says, But I would have you know, I would have you know this, that the head of every man is Christ. No argument there, right? The head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. Now, there's a big argument there. See, that's what the devil says. That, that's not culturally relevant. I mean, 
The, the, the man is not the head over the woman. He is not the head in the home. Oh, there's been a lot of, of, of unscriptural teaching about that. But the truth of the matter is, is that is still true. The man is to be the head of his home. And then it says that the head of Christ is God. And what's interesting is this. We already know in Scripture that, 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 that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal, right? That's what we call the Trinity. One is not necessarily greater than the other, and yet here we have God the Father is, if you will, the, the Lord or the head of God the Son. Because there's got to be a leader. There's got to be someone who is the head of even the Godhead, the Trinity. And that's God the Father. And yet they, 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 they minister co-equal. They're working in our lives all together. And that's the way it is in the home. I don't lord over my wife, or I'm not a dictator over my wife. And we have a great relationship in our home, but, but she understands and submits to the fact that I am the head of our home according to Scripture. What does that mean? That means that God demands more spirituality from the man than the woman. God demands that. God demands that the man lead the home spiritually. And to that I say, if nobody else will, amen. That's a good thing. Men ought to be the spiritual leaders in their home. Men ought to be leading in reading their Bibles and leading in praying in their home. God put a bigger responsibility on the man than he did the woman. Scripture. It's the Word of God. It's not culturally relevant. It's not what we're being told today, but it's in the Word of God. And if the home is going to be right, then you, my, my friend, men, you hold the primary responsibility not the wife, not the children, but the man. The Bible says you are to walk in his ways. Now, what is one of the chief characteristics of the Almighty God? One of the chief characteristics of God is what we sang about a moment ago, that he's faithful. God is faithful. What do we say about God? What do we say about our Heavenly Father? He'll never leave us, right? He'll never forsake us. God is always there. I love to say that about God. He's never let me down. Isn't that great? God is faithful. When everybody else walks away, who's always there? God is always. You're never alone. You're never alone. Why? Because God, your heavenly Father, has a characteristic about him that will never go away, and that is this. He is faithful. And yet, what is one of the chief problems in America today? The unfaithfulness of men. Here we are to be modeling God in the home. God's strongest characteristic is faithfulness. And today we have an epidemic of unfaithfulness. Dropout dads and failing fathers. Over 15 million kids in America are growing up in homes without dads. 70% of men in prison, no wonder they're there, because 70% of them had no dad in the home. Some, uh, since 1920, the divorce rate in America has risen a staggering 1,420% since 1920. So what is faithfulness? Faithfulness includes promise-making and promise-keeping. That's faithfulness. Promise-making and promise-keeping. 
Why? Because our God is a covenant God. Our God likes promises. Our God's made promises to us. Our God is a faithful God. Recently, I heard a quote uh, from John Schroeder in a book that he read called Tender Warrior. And it's a book that he and I now would highly recommend you read. It's written by Stu Weber. Stu's got some great books out there. He's a contemporary writer that is just awesome. And, And this book, Tender Warrior, is a book written for men. Tender Warrior. He said this. I love this. And I quote, Fathers and husbands need to learn faithfulness. Stand by your promises. Never, never let go, no matter what. When marriage isn't fun, stay in it. When parenting is over your head, stay at it. When work is crushing your spirit, don't let it beat you. When the local church is overwhelmed with pettiness, stay by it. When your children let you down, pick them up. When your wife goes uh, through a six-month uh, goes through a, a six-month mood swing, <laughs> I want to make sure I was reading that right. Live with it. When it's fourth and fourteen and no time on the clock, throw another pass. How good is that? Make you want to read the book, Tender Warrior. Stay with it. Be the man. Be faithful. Who is an example of that? What greater example than Jesus Christ Himself? When Jesus could have turned away from the cross. Jesus stayed the course. When he could have come down from the cross and, and, and cried, uh, Father, deliver me from this. When he could have done that, he stayed. When he could have called 10,000 angels, our faithful God stayed. God, have mercy on dropout dads and failing fathers, for which our country is full of. Let's stay at it, dads. Let's stay with it. It's hard sometimes. It's challenging sometimes. Some days are overwhelming. And it hasn't... I look back on 28 years of being a husband and 24 years of being a dad now. And uh, man, it, there, there were challenging times and challenging moments and still are. Man, I'm excited about the, what, what, the, what the reward has been. And it's been worth every struggle, worth every heartache. I'm so thankful I can stand here today and even preach this message with a measure of confidence. Just a measure Still knowing I need a lot of work. Still realizing I haven't arrived yet. But glad I'm still in the game. Because of a faithful walk with God. Number two, a real man is not only known for his faithful walk, but he's known for his fruitful work. His fruitful work. Look at that next verse in Psalm 128 and uh, verse number two. It says, For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. You'll eat the labor of your hands. It's going to be well with you. You see, God's plan for the man is to provide for his family. God didn't make the wife, the woman, to be the primary breadwinner in the home. He didn't make the wife or the woman to, to provide for the family. He made the man to be the primary breadwinner of the home, to provide for his family. God made the lady primarily to be the nurturer in the home. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Again, not popular words, but scriptural words. Here's what it says about the woman. That she may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. That's what a woman should be teaching. Hey, listen. Love your children. Love your husband. Be sober. It's an amazing thing to read the Bible and the roles of the men and the women. God made the man to provide, but yet it goes far beyond just working. It goes into providing for food, providing for clothing, providing for housing. 
We are to provide also emotional and spiritual security in the home. We are to be the provider and we are to be the protector. Men, be strong. Let's be protectors in our homes. Not rude and crude and Rambo Jr., you know. I believe that a man can be tender and meek and gentle, but he can also be strong and tough. I believe that. And that's what I, I want to be for my family. Our houses, our homes rather, will never be right until dads get this right. Let's learn to lead our families in love. And then he is known by his family worship. He is known by his faithful walk and his fruitful work. And thirdly, he is known by his family worship. Look, if you would please, at verse 4 and 5 of our text real quickly as we move along. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. All right, here's what the scripture says. This is God's word, amen? This man's going to be blessed if he fears God. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Here is a man who fears God. Here's a man who worships God. And, and men, we need to lead in worshiping God in our homes. As we seek God's blessing, guess what we become in the home? We become the blessing. We become the blessing. We seek God's blessing. We worship God. And then we become the blessing to our homes. Listen, this morning when I woke up to all those Father's Day cards and read all of what they said, I'm thinking, Lord, I can't believe that's me. I can't believe that's me in this home. I, I'm blown away that, that, that my family has taken the time to say these things and, and to honor me today. I'm blown away. God says, hey, you seek me, I bless you. You seek me, you'll have kids around your table this afternoon like we will. Going to have some teriyaki steak. That's what I requested. It's Father's Day, so I get to choose the meal. So we got teriyaki steak on a stick. We got chicken salad. Hey, I, got the, I, I wrote the menu today. And, and all that's, man, they were up there late last night. I was sawing logs, and they were still putting those meat on those skewers and, and working around the table. And Ken was there, and Danielle was there, and Carol Ann was, she was sick yesterday, and, and uh, Miss Yoshida and, and, and Chloe. And, and I, I, I walked by that table, and I thought, that's what Psalm 128 is talking about. They'll be like olive plants round about thy table. There they are. Just being a blessing to dad. Why? Because dad's been a blessing to them. And when you bless God, God will bless you. And his blessing is far greater than your blessing. Oh, what a, what a life to just live this life that God has laid out for us. Bring them up in church. It's so important to bring our families up in church. Ephesians 6, 4. How do we raise our kids? How do we raise our families? Look at this verse. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke your children to wrath. I believe that speaks of not being negative in the home. Don't raise them in, in wrath. Don't exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them. Don't, don't badger them or wound them or humiliate them. Josh McDowell said it like this. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. That's a great statement that he made. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We ought to bring our kids up positively. That's what the word nurture means. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. I have found out that you, I can correct my kids. I can discipline my kids. I can get on my kids in a positive way. 
I have found that I can be a pastor that doesn't have to badger my people. I don't have to knock you over the head. Listen, the Holy Spirit does a much better job of correcting and of chastening you than, than I could ever do. So that's not my job. My job is just to preach the truth. Just preach it. Just lay it out there. Here's what God says. I'm going to do it in love, and then you take it out with the Holy Spirit. That's it. And in, in, in raising our families, we must not, uh, uh, you know, we, we must be tender. That's why the Bible speaks about these olive trees. You know, when you, when, you, when you tend to a garden, what do you have to do to that garden to make it right? You have to weed it? Is that right? I don't have a garden. My daughter has one, and she's not doing a very good job of weeding it because I went back there yesterday, and those weeds, I'm like, this thing is out of control. Honey, go weed your cotton-picking garden, you know. And uh, you got to weed it, and what else do you have to do? Water it? You have to water it? I don't have a garden. Is that what you do? you got to water it unless it rains all the time, right? What else do you have to do to garden? Anything else? Nobody has gardens? Weed, water, prune, okay. So there's things you've got to do to it. You've got you to handle it tenderly because you don't want to rip up the good stuff, right? So you've got to work that garden to make sure it produces what? Fruit. You want it to produce that for which you, it was made for. You've got to fertilize it. What does that take? Somebody tell me what that takes. It takes time. It takes time. I hope some of you dads will take time to read the 10 pieces of advice that I gave you in the worship guide. I'm not going to read them, but I'll tell you, these, these are, this is it, dads. I, mean, I, I, I gave you 10 great tips on being a great dad, but the most important one of all of that, of every one of those, the number one is time. 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 We've got to spend time with our kids. We've got to take our kids out. We've got, to, we've got to spend time with them, working with them, loving them. Listen, I've heard the average father spends seven and a half minutes, are you ready, per week with their children. Seven and a half minutes one-on-one with their kids. It's crazy. I wonder we're in the shape we're in. If we're investing all, a little over a minute a day, our kids, oh, that's not going to get it, dads. If you're not there, you don't care. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't know how much, care how much money you're throwing at them. I don't care what kind of car your kids drive. I don't care how many things they have. If you're not there, you don't care. A psychologist tells us that if a father does not spend time with his daughter, her chances of becoming promiscuous are greatly increased. And believe me, as Chloe gets older and prettier, I'm spending more time with her. More time with her. Because I understand the danger of a, of a young man getting her heart before it's time. And how destructive that can be. So men, we're the pastors in our homes. And if you say today, I don't have time, then remember this statement. Duties never conflict. Never. If you don't have time for your kids, then your priorities are out of whack. You've got to change some stuff. You've got to get rid of some stuff. I've been through this. Believe me, there have been so many times I've had to look at my schedule and say, this is way out of control. If I'm not careful, I'm going to lose my kids. I've got to fix this problem. I don't care if I've got to live in a mobile home, which I did for a long time. I've got to fix this problem. I've got to make this work. Number four, a real man is known, and we're finished, by his future wealth. Look at verse 6. This is so good. Verse 6 says, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. You'll see your children's children 
and peace upon Israel. So here's the question. What is real wealth? Think about it. What, what, what makes real wealth? Is it money? Honestly. Somebody, uh, we, were, we were out in Hot Springs. Uh, no, no, we were, we were eating together as a family Friday night in Little Rock. Went to a pizza place, took the whole crew. It was Elena's first night out, my granddaughter. Her first night out on the city was with Grandpa, a papa. We went to a pizza joint and then a coffee shop. She loves coffee. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't drink coffee. But, uh, <clears throat> and uh, we had a great time. And so, I think it was Matthias sat down at the table. He said, Dad, there's a Bentley. It is, that car's over $100,000. That's what he said. I don't know if it is or not. But he says of a $100,000 car in the parking lot of this pizza joint in Little Rock. Is that wealth? Is that really what, Dad? Is that what we're after, a Bentley car? A Mercedes? A BMW? How about a five-bedroom, four-bath house with a pool and a patio? That's wealth, amen? That's like, oh, that's the greatest man in all the world. Look at the size of his house, his pool, and his patio. Now, is there anything wrong with a nice car, a nice house, and a pool? No. But read my lips. That's not real wealth. That's just stuff that's going to burn. That's all it is. Enjoy it while you can, because it's going to dissolve. Scripture tells us this whole earth's going to dissolve and, and burn and, and, and mean nothing. What is real wealth? I'll tell you what real wealth is. For me, it's Carol Ann, a wife of 28 years. For me, it's Mo, who over 24 years ago was born emergency C-section. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget California, Los Angeles, California. I'm a youth pastor at a church, a big church out there. And the doctor comes in. I'm just, everything's cool. We're just waiting, you know, heartbeat's doing fine. Next thing you know, that sucker's got his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He's playing, man. He's having fun. He's about to kill himself. Doctor runs in. She's screaming and yelling. They kick me out of the little room, you know. Cut her open. And I was just waiting to hear that, you know, that scream, right? They get that cord unwrapped and he... Oh, Mo lets out a scream. Just a few months earlier, they thought he was dead because my wife has a disease, had a disease called ulcerative colitis, and she, she lost three pints of blood when she was four months pregnant. The doctor said there's no way a baby can live when a woman loses three pints of blood, but somehow he, he lived. So what's it like for me today to know I'm at church with that boy, his wife, and my first grandchild? Let me tell you what that is. Take your Bentley, take your Mercedes, and take your house. I'll take that. And I'll take the other two. I mean, I will. If you want to give it to me, I'll, I'll take it. But Because <laughs> I'm not being critical of those things. I think it's really cool to have a big house and a nice car. I'm happy for everybody that has that. Great. Build on and get a nicer car, no problem. Just don't call that wealth. Just call that stuff. Call wealth your children, your wife, and your grandkids. And grandparents, am I right or what? Is that the truth? It's amazing. So you're looking at a rich man. Next time somebody says, what's your pastor get paid? Just say, oh, he's a millionaire. And just make sure you, you, make sure you let him know. He's a millionaire, but in, not in, in, in a money way. He's a millionaire because of his family, because of the 
the gift of his family. Children don't make a rich man poor. Children make a poor man rich. A rich man can't take his money to heaven, but he can't take his kids to heaven. And so I want to thank my wife today. Hopefully she'll be at the second service. She's been pretty sick this weekend. But I want to thank my wife publicly in this service. She always comes to the second service. But I want to thank her for going into the jaws of death five times to make me a rich man. Five times to make me a rich man. And then I have a prayer that I I want to pray this morning in closing. I wrote it down. I want you to write your prayer. Write your prayer. There's nothing wrong with writing a prayer out. I used to criticize prayers that were read. I think they're good prayers. You can read a prayer if you want. You can quote a prayer. It doesn't matter to me. But here's my prayer today. Oh, God, if I never amount to much, if I fail as a pastor, if I never preach well, if I'm never heard of, oh, God, make me a good daddy. Make me a man that my children can look up to. And I want my kids to be able to say, Daddy is not a phony. He loves God, and he's the same at home as he is at church. And to me, that's success. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? And as we finish this little series on the family, remodeling our family,